Hello, everyone, and welcome back to SpongeBobblematic. Um, this time around, we are going over episode two, as last time we did episode one. As we discussed then, when we say an episode number, episode one, you know, it was composed of episode 1A, 1B, and 1C. So we're discussing the 30-minute time blocks more than the individual sections when we say that, it's meaning that in this one, we're going to be going over 2A, which is bubble stand, as well as 2B, which is ripped pants. Uh, both are very iconic episodes. Yeah, these are some classics for sure. Uh, I when I looked at these, I, I I couldn't believe that they were this early on, but I guess it makes sense just because they're they're so like integral to everyone's knowledge around SpongeBob. Yeah, as a child, I actually thought Bubble Stand was the first episode just because of the way it was presented, and I feel like it. There was a time when it was probably the most like popular episode like i feel like you couldn't turn on nickelodeon during some times without seeing it it was just ran over and over again uh really left an impression really had some strong bits in it to speak of some of the background information for it this episode's writing team it doesn't again include uh steven hillenberg derek drymon and tim hill those are names that we heard back in episode one uh, there's two other names here that are not here before and they're also names i'm probably going to pronounce wrong but they're eric weiss and Ennio torison uh, those two are also actually the storyboarders as well for this episode, meaning that they had both a hand in the writing and then ultimately how it really came into picture form. And so I think that's probably a good idea. That's not something you always see in animation, but when the person who had the ideas for what's going to happen also is involved in, you know, bringing them to life in an animated sense, uh, you can really make sure the visions come across. And that's my opinion on that. I mean, it also might have been they had less to do with the actual writing, and maybe they made some writing decisions when it came to actually storyboarding it, so they had to give them a writer's credit. Um, because, you know, I mean, you mentioned five names there as for the writer's credit. I doubt they all put in equal work, so it might have just been when they were storyboarding, they made some, some writing changes that ultimately meant they had to get a writing credit. That is true, and I will say as well um, that according to his Wikipedia article, we all know, you know how those can be, though, uh, Eric Weiss was also involved in design aspects for the pilot, which would be Help Wanted. However, I could not find any backing resources for that. His name is not in the credits of that episode, so I'm not sure if that's accurate, not sure if he stated that somewhere else. Uh, but I figured, you know, if he was a part of that, give him props here for that work. So I thought I'd mention it. Um, to get onto the episode itself, what kind of goes on here... Uh, we do have some premiere viewer data. So, you know, the numbers it got first time it was on air. Now, normally in this season, we, we don't have a whole lot of that kind of data. I can say that most of the episodes do indeed get over the 2 million mark. However, this one, uh, it's surprising because for how culturally impactful it is, it's actually slightly lower than that. It only got 1.9 million. However, you know, that's still nothing to sneeze at these days. Anything on cable is not even going to get anywhere near those numbers. So... Still a definite impact, however, just a number that surprised me. I mean, again, even for a premiere, that's how many times have both of us just put together seen this episode since its premiere? You know, its actual viewing numbers would probably be 20 times that at this point. Absolutely. And that is, you know, a very good point. Even if it didn't get as many on first viewing, I feel like it was one of the episodes that was put into rotation more often than some of the other ones. Um, I'm sure that there's resources out there that could show you a blocking schedule if you're truly interested but to go that far back might be a little tricky 
So it's one of those things you just kind of have to take someone's word on in that if you weren't there, this was an episode that pretty much everyone saw at one point or another. To get onto the actual plot of it, um, the actual general idea of this is very simple, but it's used for a lot of gags and a lot of the humor as opposed to being more of you know, a grand story. At the end of the day, it is a children's cartoon. Um, but as I was saying, the general plot is that SpongeBob, he goes out, you know, he's not working today, but he wants to make a bubble stand. Uh, the visual for that would be like a lemonade stand, however, for blowing bubbles. And it's just one of those things that shows that SpongeBob, you know, on a beautiful day, he wants to do something, he wants to get something out of it. Uh, it's funny, he remarks, oh, you know, isn't it peaceful? Then he makes a lot of noise. Immediately, immediately starts banging on some wood and, and making a ton of noise. Exactly, which is just kind of a, a big part of his personality at this point. You know, he's someone who gets so enthusiastic and he has so much positive energy. He doesn't even think about the fact that that can kind of ruin the day for someone else, which it does for Squidward, who doesn't really like all the noise. And then we see, again, SpongeBob's caring side because... He literally crawls to a halt, trying to make sure he's not too loud to get in Squidward's way. And as, as a setup, this probably doesn't sound the most interesting, but again, the setup is used in a grander sense for humor in this episode. So it may not seem like in the first episode, you're like, oh, you know, Sandy's introduced. You know, not every episode's going to have some big thing like that. This is ultimately, you know, a syndicated show. I mean, SpongeBob's great with that. They take very simple concepts and they, they you know, use the wit of the writers as well as the characters that they've created just to create hilarious scenarios over and over again. The, you know, I mean, other episodes do definitely get more complex, but they can take a very simple idea like this and, and you know, make a whole episode about it, which, which just shows how good they are. That is the case, indeed. Um, so when this happens, obviously Squidward is not going to want to partake in any kind of bubble stand activity. He thinks, oh, you know, this is dumb, this is stupid. He's got that... Squidward kind of represents, you know, a cynicism that we see a lot in, like, kind of adulthood and as we reach maturity, whereas it's been stated before, SpongeBob is kind of a more innocence, a more naivete, more positivity. So we really get that dichotomy here. We saw that dichotomy in episode one a lot, but I feel like it it definitely is clear as day here, and it will be very clear going forward as well. So Patrick does come up. Um, we did see, it's it's never directly stated because it's something you visually see. Patrick is kind of the third neighbor in that group there. SpongeBob, Squidward, and Patrick just all live on the same street. No one else really lives exactly in that area. Um, but then Patrick obviously comes up figuring out what's going on. And he wants to, you know, blow a bubble. And we see here something where it, it makes Patrick look stupid. He does not know how. Uh, you know, he, he pays a quarter because it's, you know, a lemonade stand kind of thing. You pay a quarter, but SpongeBob sort of gave him that. So it's kind of nothing. And it does show, you know, SpongeBob's here for fun. He's here to just hang out with his friends, do something interesting. Um, but the fact that he doesn't know how to blow a bubble is interesting in that we'll see later Squidward can't do it either. So... Patrick might not actually be stupid in this instance. It might just be something people are not able to innately do. Well, without the without the technique, of course. Um, but going back a little bit too, it's also really funny when Patrick comes up to the bubble stand. They sort of do this like seemingly like sales pitch for the bubble stand, where like Patrick is clear. Patrick and SpongeBob are clearly having this like weird understanding that was not stated beforehand, where they're like acting out a fake. Like, at one point, Patrick actually, when when he asks for the quarter because he doesn't have one, he whispers to Spongebob, hey, can I borrow a quarter? And, like, they're, like, they seemingly have this, like, agreement that they're going to act out this, like, transaction with each other for seemingly no reason, which is just a really funny scenario. 
Good day, sir. Would you like to blow a bubble? Hmm, how much is it? Only 25 cents. That is very reasonable. Hey, Sponge, can I borrow a quarter? It's just just one of those things where it's like, it it makes you think they discussed it beforehand, and like the quarter thing was just there to be part of a little bit that they wanted to do. Like, they just wanted to do some stupid shit. Well, because there's no reason to have that in there, right? They, They just as easily could have had Patrick come up, be like, oh, hey, SpongeBob, can I blow a bubble? Like, just normally, and then be like, oh, but I don't have a quarter. Can I just, can you spot me this time or whatever? And then have him, uh, have him like mess up the, um, have him mess up the bubble. But they don't do that. They're just like, hey, this is, they, I think they just like were doing like, hmm, what's something funny we could put in here? And then they just came up with that idea and it works really well. I, I like, I love the way it's delivered too. Like in the context, it's just so phony, but it's phony on purpose. Yeah. I also love when, when Patrick is failing to blow the bubble, SpongeBob just like, almost as if on cue puts up uh, the lesson sign, the lesson's 25 cents as he's failing to do it without like any words being discussed between them. It's just one of those things where he's like, okay, well, bring my other plan into action here. Um, and if, we see here if he actually took money, he would, uh, if he actually took money for it, it would, uh, it would actually be a pretty good money-making scheme, but, you know. Well, you know what, he's, he's not really necessarily about that. No, no, um, he's not. We're, we're told something that is not implied to be true here, but there's a later episode where SpongeBob even says, you know, back when I first started at the Krusty Krab, I had to pay Mr. Krabs. <laughs> uh, so it's like SpongeBob may be working and then paying his boss at this moment in time. Yeah. Uh, however, what we see here is when he does give Patrick the lessons, he goes through this whole technique. It's, it's very visual, but it is very iconic. We see him go through a whole bunch of different steps of just ridiculous things. It's like, you know how some people, you know, they'll be like, oh, you know, I'm watching my sports team. We got to do this cheer. We got to dress this way. You know, it's kind of like a ritual sort of thing. Uh, however, in this universe, it seems to actually have an impact on the end result. And one thing I want to mention as well, um, as I was saying, the visuals change. SpongeBob, he he does a lot of transformations here. But, you know, one thing you, you hear criticism of in something like if you are involved in a show, like you watch Steven Universe or like even if you've like watched Yu-Gi-Oh! before, People will talk about model sheets and going off model. It's interesting that SpongeBob, he can bend and contort so much, but he never looks wrong. He always looks consistently like SpongeBob. And I think that takes a certain amount of talent that I can really respect and appreciate that you can do all these fun things with him but he still undeniably looks like himself and he looks correct through it. Well, and I think that's the case with all the SpongeBob characters, right? They all have distinct color palettes and patterns on them that they could contort. Like you could just look at like, uh, you know, if you just like zoomed in like really close on a picture of one of them and posted like that and be like, what character is this? You'd be able to tell instantly. Like if it's pink and has like maybe some green and blue in there, that's Patrick. If it's yellow and has some brown, that's SpongeBob. If it's like a like a very grayish teal, that's Squidward and so on and so forth. You know, they all look very, because later you do see Squidward kind of do the same thing and it's, it's the same, you know, scenario. You can tell like that's Squidward. It's very lanky, you know, all that sort of stuff. Um, and I, yeah, I think that's, it just shows how like classic and distinct the, the designs are of these characters. Definitely a lot of color theory in there as well with what colors they are and what their personalities are as well. Uh, there's a lot of science behind that, you know, SpongeBob, optimism, yellow, Squidward, pessimism, kind of like grief, blue. Um, we do have another, a lot of iconic lines really come from this one. So as SpongeBob's blowing bubbles, he's showing Patrick, um, he makes a giraffe. <laughs> it's a giraffe. It's actually an elephant. 
that we see. And and even in the technique itself, um, the bring it around town joke, I, I think about that at least once a month. The, the, I just like you do the bring it around town and move my hips around. Like that is so ingrained in my mind. The, you know, the working theory I have on this is uh, that's the first Fortnite dance. It's, it's you know, <laughs> children were able to imitate the actions to some extent. And it was just one of those things you see it and you like you want to do, you know, they bring it around town. You want to step on your right foot. Don't forget it. Exactly. Um, and then we see here, it's interesting, too, because Squidward this whole time has been like, hey, you know, stop doing this. You really, you know, you're being too loud. I hate all this noise. Um, the giraffe flies through his window, implying it was open. And it's like, at that point, it's really more your problem than anyone else's if you're having a noise issue, honestly. But that, like, yeah. Just the audacity of him to be like, my windows are open. I'm going to play music through them, but you cannot make noise externally is like, well, okay, and I, man. I think this goes back to something earlier, too. When, when Squidward starts practicing the clarinet, he, he like, to himself, he's completely alone in his, like, studio or whatever it is. And and he's, A, awful at it, but he thinks he's good. Like, he's, like, he acts like he's, like, performing in, like, a concerto or something like that. Like, where he's, he, he is this amazing clarinet player. And really, we hear him play immediately after, and he is awful. So, I mean, that's a part of it, too, that I think he actually probably had his window open because he thinks he's doing the rest of the world a service by him them hearing his music. It's very in line with his personality. Another thing I'll bring up is we see in Squidward's house a lot of self-portraiture and a lot of art. Now, in canon, I feel like it's important to say this because if you look at it critically, his art doesn't necessarily look bad. It doesn't look like it shows a lack of technique, but within in-universe, in lore, it's treated as also being bad and self-centered. We definitely get the self-centered just from the fact that it's all self-portraiture. He never draws anything else. Uh, but I felt it was important to say that because it's another part of that part of Squidward's personality where he believes he is good at everything he does and like he is a blessing to this world with his artistic crafts. However, the opposite is shown to be true. It's just that he happens to be neighbors with people who are too nice to say anything about it. Exactly. And I, uh, I think it's really, it, it, it's worth mentioning, this is, we, we kind of see uh, in, in, in Reef Blower in the last episode and in the, ep in the like times where we saw Patrick uh, before, that we, we saw glimpses of like how they all interact with each other, but this is the first episode where we see the three of them as neighbors all interacting with one another and like that dynamic and how how it like works between the three of them. So like it's it's usually SpongeBob and Patrick. SpongeBob is doing something, Patrick's just kind of following him along, not really having a care in the world. SpongeBob is usually a bit more clued in to what's actually like a little bit more clued in than Patrick is. Like where he actually, if something's going wrong, Patrick will usually have no idea and just keep doing whatever, and SpongeBob will be a bit more like, oh, something's actually wrong here. And then Squidward, on the other hand, just wants nothing to do with what's going on and often gets either dragged into it or or brings himself into it in a very bad way. Now the logic loop we see, however, in these early episodes is spongebob views patrick as someone sagely like if spongebob needs help he will ask patrick we saw that in tea at the tree dome we saw i need help i don't know what air is like <laughs> spongebob believes patrick knows things and patrick probably thinks patrick knows things but in reality spongebob is a bit more clued in than than patrick is yeah for sure what happens next in the episode is you know after they've annoyed squidward we see Something that it's another important facet, I believe, for the dynamic that they share. SpongeBob and Patrick, as soon as because when the bubbles blow up, they make a lot of noise. They immediately know they've ticked off Squidward and kind of are like, oh, we're in trouble. We should probably like hide. 
And this just self-awareness that a lot of characters in media, especially animated media, either have too much of or don't have any at all. Here it's like that is a logical response to be like, okay, yeah, we should probably not let him see us now. Well, crucially, um, crucially, SpongeBob notices right away. This is kind of what I was alluding to earlier. SpongeBob notices right away. Patrick just keeps laughing until uh, SpongeBob kind of like jabs him in the stomach and then like brings him over to behind the bubble stand to hide. So again, this is like the, another example of like SpongeBob being a bit more clued in and kind of just and, and more aware than Patrick is. But yeah, it's it is interesting. Yeah, because um, that doesn't yeah you don't see that a lot normally. Uh, like cartoon characters will do something crazy and then immediately receive the consequences of that without any logic of like, oh, hey, we should probably respond to this in some way. And then back to talking about Squidward and his selfishness, what happens next is he does essentially tell them they should be ashamed. That's not art. What they're doing isn't artistic, which is just very very him in that he couldn't see the artistic merit of the fact that SpongeBob was able to create all of these different dynamic shapes and these different dynamic things with bubbles one would never realistically be able to do. But because it is not in a classical form and because it's not something Squidward made, he has zero respect for it. And it really just goes to show Squidward is very self-focused. And once I, I feel like Again, a lot of these things are shown and not told, but I feel like Squidward's whole thing is he feels like he needs to bring everyone else down because to some extent he understands that if he were as good as he says he is, he would be somewhere better than this. Yeah, exactly. And then and then to kind of, you know, go on, play off that a little bit more, after he shames SpongeBob and Patrick and, and they go inside the house, he then, you, you see, like, he does actually appreciate it and is kind of in this... He can't. He would, he would never admit it to SpongeBob and Patrick, but he then starts looking at the... Starts looking at the uh, the bubble blower and is like, "Do I want to try this? What am I? Am I gonna? Am I gonna try this?" <laughs> and then uh, and then SpongeBob comes out and is, uh, "That'll be twenty five cents, sir." Interesting to note as well something that I didn't understand as a child because when I saw this when I was young, I didn't understand why someone like in media bites a coin when they get it. Um, for anyone who doesn't still, that is from it, it's essentially like a visual holdover where. There was a time when, you know, money is made of metal, right? So if you bite it, it's not going to bend. But a counterfeit one, it's going to bend under that. And we see Squidward's coin bends, implying <laughs> he gave SpongeBob a fake quarter. <laughs> yeah, it is It is really weird. I always just thought it was, like, just a cool, like, visual thing. Because well, like, it, it, it weirdly looks, like, satisfying seeing, like, a bent quarter. But, yeah, it, that is the implication that at first he gave him a, he gave him a, 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 a fake quarter. Like, instead of just asking, can I borrow a quarter? He was like, I have counterfeited quarters. <laughs> just to give you. Uh, and then, yeah, and then Squidward uh, starts trying to blow bubbles. And he, like you said with Patrick, he's, uh, he can't do it. He, he, won't, um, he won't try. Uh, but then SpongeBob and Patrick start going, start, you know, yelling at him to try the technique, do the technique. Uh, the again another classic uh, thing that's lodged in my brain from this episode is I'm going technique, technique, technique while like while uh, Pat or uh, Squidward fails to blow the bubbles. It's just it's really you know a mess of Squidward's own making because if he would ever just take the time to like listen to others, he wouldn't get so frustrated. But because they're trying to help him and he refuses to accept it, it just creates a bigger issue for himself. And then what happens next, obviously, is he. 
he gets really upset about it. And he's like, okay, bring it around town. Step on your right foot. Do this, do that. And he does it all kind of like in a like, you know, go fuck off kind of manner where it's like he is not interested in this. And what what's funny is after he does that, he screams into the bubble wand and does create a bubble uh, larger than anything else anyone had created up to that point. He does get complimented on it um, pretty greatly by SpongeBob and Patrick, but in my mind, so the way they do it is kind of like this, wow, no one blew one like that. You're pretty great, Squidward. It's like, it's like you know, when like a child hands you a drawing, it's like, wow, this is going right up on the fridge. It's like you're, you're being nice because you're being nice. You don't actually think that. But Squidward is not self-aware enough to realize that's kind of what's happening here. I think it, I, I, I see what you mean. And I, 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 by the tone, I definitely feel that. But I, th- I think that might have been like, mistake because if you see what they do after that they they do seem to genuinely be impressed by what he did like so uh one of my favorite lines from this episode that i completely forgot about uh of until watching it again for this was um again so squidward he he does this and he's like taking all the credit uh for it he, he completely is spongebob is like oh wow good thing you did the technique and he's like ha technique you think that's what did it no it was my skill and then, and they, or no, he says, it's all in the genes. And then Squidward and Patrick, or SpongeBob and Patrick start chanting, Squids got jeans, Squids got jeans, <laughs> which is like, it's, I don't know why that's so, that's still so funny to me now, but it's, it's such a good line. <laughs> it's just, you know, they start chanting it, they start chanting his name, but it's because of that, that, so the bubble comes back and ends up enveloping his house which leads his house to float away. And they're trying to warn him like Squidward. And they think they're, they, he thinks they're just cheering for him. And he's like, ha, those guys wouldn't know anything if I wasn't there to show him how great I was. But then, you know, he looks and for the first time that it's really just him and it's this direct, because we do see in Reef Blower, like Squidward does an action. The action comes back to bite him. But here we very much so see it's Squidward's hubris causes him problems like if he were to just take a moment to analyze the situation and not be selfish none of these things would have had to happen but it's because of his own attitude that he's now in trouble and his house has floated away and it does come back down but it's all sideways and then spongebob and patrick just said yeah i'm going home <laughs> they just uh, go back to their house problem. yeah i'm for... pretend this didn't happen sure a really interesting thing i noticed about that squidward scene um was when he goes back into the house after, like, again, in his mind, he's really hyped up. He blew the great bubble and all that. He starts playing the clarinet again, and it actually sounds a lot better. It doesn't sound, like, amazing, but it sounds it actually sounds pretty good, which is a weird thing about Squidward's character is he's very overconfident in himself, but, like, a lot of that is seemingly performative. But when he's actually proud of himself, he does seem to be a competent, like, artist and, like, creative. And it's it's very interesting to see that, like, you know, something this early uh, in SpongeBob. And I, I, I do believe it comes back um, every now and again where, where when he actually, like, is co- actually confident in himself and not this, like, phony overconfidence, uh, he does actually do a good job. I mean, he certainly does have, like, a history. You know, we find out later... He did perform, you know, he's been doing music, he was in band, he's been practicing these things pretty much his whole life. Um, And it is, you could almost see it as kind of sad that like, even, you know, as you said, it is a little bit better, but as someone who did play clarinet um, for part of my time in middle school, he's still definitely off key and he's not doing the best. And so he's, he's almost a tragic character in that in spite of all this time he's put in, 
his best is still kind of only impressive to people who wouldn't know a lot about the medium. But I mean, you know, for some people that's good enough. Some people, you know, your ceiling is where it's at and you just accept that and you're happy with that. And, you know, that, that could be an end game for Squidward where he to have an end game is to find happiness in what he does have. But he's not the kind of person who's ready to realize something like that. Exactly. And I think that, you know, that kind of whole idea goes back to um, an interesting thing that I, I've seen on the internet a lot recently where, you know, there's that there's that line that people have been saying for years now where like for years when I was a child, I related to SpongeBob, but now I'm an adult, I relate to Squidward. And it's like, you're not supposed to relate to Squidward. Like Squidward's a really bad per like not, I mean, he's not like necessarily a bad, he's a really sad person. Like his life is very sad. And like, you know, you might relate to him a bit more, but like, that's not like, good he's a very he's not a very good person he's very cynical very mean and it's like you shouldn't you know you shouldn't be proud to look back on it now and be like oh i'm like squidward you know it's it's very i i do i definitely do relate to aspects of it a bit more but it's still not a it's not something to be like to be proud of in a way well the the really interesting dichotomy is squidward and spongebob are in nearly identical circumstances. The difference is SpongeBob chooses to see the wonder and the good in everything, whereas Squidward hyper-focuses on where he is not and what he could have instead were he more successful. And that's what creates that. And I think that's kind of the problem with a lot of people. You know, as you grow up, you know, when you're a kid, you set all these grand standards for yourself and everything does seem so amazing. And then you get to adulthood and it's like, ultimately... This isn't true for everyone, but most of us, we're going to hit limits. We're going to have things we can't do, and we're going to fail at times. And when that gets to us, it makes us more like Squidward in that sense, in that we become cynical, we become jaded. We wonder why things can't be exactly as we wanted. But as we'll see kind of in this next episode, SpongeBob is someone who, even when he fails, he finds a positive outlook in it, and he creates a new path for himself. Yeah, I think that's a good, uh, good transition into the next episode. Well, to start talking about that then, 2B is Ripped Pants. Again, you know, as it's part of the set, this is another episode. It was seen a lot, had a lot of things in it, a lot of quotable moments, very popular. This one was written by, it only has two writing credits on it. It's Paul Tibbet and Peter Burns, and it was storyboarded by, uh, again, Paul Tibbet, but the other storyboarder was Mark O'Hare. Um, it should be noted that Paul has been involved in the storyboarding for almost every episode up to this point, except he wasn't involved in the pilot, and he wasn't involved in Bubble Stand. And if you actually look closely at every episode we've talked about, if you go back and you just look at it visually, you can kind of tell there are some stylistic differences in the way it was led to be. Um, like, for example, they're both equally good, but a Bubble Stand really meshes SpongeBob's body, transforms it in these ways, these forms that we didn't really see up to that point. We saw a lot of visual gags for things like in Reef Blower, we see the Reef Blower like, like it was a person cough up the gears, and we see things like that. Um, but it's a, it's a different idea of what do I want to push, what do I want to pull, what do I want to express. And I definitely think for those of you who are more interested in the animation side of it, it is interesting to go back and see, oh yeah, you know, there's these similarities here, there's these differences here, because there were different people on the teams that actually decided how things were going to be drawn out. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, but yeah, then this episode starts out with uh, with a location we'll become very familiar with, uh, Goo Lagoon, uh, where SpongeBob and Sandy are are just chilling on the beach. Now it's interesting here that it's never really gone in depth about what Goo is, but all that really needs to be known about it is it's the replacement for there being a beach and an underwater environment when you're already underwater. 
Um, now, one thing to note here, especially that we'll see at the beginning, SpongeBob is he is just trying so hard to get Sandy's attention. And to me, that really reads a lot like how in the pitch Bible we discussed in the last episode, SpongeBob was meant to have a crush on Sandy. So it obviously makes sense. You know, you're wanting to get this girl's attention. You like her. You're you're trying to like over exaggerate yourself and like be funny so that she has an interest in you. Uh, it's one of those things where it's like, yeah, I can see someone doing that. And then it lends itself as well to the episode as it progresses, because soon after we see Larry the Lobster, who is, he's not the same kind of main cast member that the others we've met up to this point will be, but he is very recurring. Uh, you'll, you will see him a lot. He's kind of just, you know, if I were to put like a stereotype on it, kind of like this jock, like weightlifter, like, I gotta pump iron, like kind of like show-offy type. And again, if we think about Spongebob supposed to have a crush on Sandy, but Sandy is a very athletic person, even though Spongebob, Spongebob's like, oh, I know karate, but at this point he really doesn't seem to be nearly as good at it as Sandy. Sandy seems to be a like very physical, active person. Of course she would be drawn to someone like Larry. Spongebob starts to show kind of like a jealousy and a resentment here, which is interesting for his character. Yeah, I mean, he gets really jealous. I, there is another dynamic, though, to it where obviously we know that, like, okay, so initially the intention was for him to have a crush on Sandy, um, and then, but eventually that, you know, got dropped. They they never really went anywhere with that, um, you know, in later seasons or later episodes even. Um, but something that is very, and I think works really well with this episode as well, if, like, if, so we want to kind of retcon it and be like, okay, he didn't actually have a crush on Sandy. He does very much in this episode want to be the center of attention. And that, you know, that can just kind of fill in perfectly with, with, you know, you can kind of just swap out like, okay, it's not him having a crush on Sandy. It's him just wanting to be the center of attention. Obviously that was the intention initially, but I mean, in this episode, he just wants to be the center of attention. And Larry is definitely getting that by being, you know, he lifts, a, he lifts two like entire rows of stands uh, of people with just his arms uh, and stuff like that. And SpongeBob is struggling to lift uh, two marshmallows on a, on a stick. Count them too. Uh, and it is interesting as well to note that like there's just a stand of people watching all of these weightlifters just like do repetitions. Like <laughs> yeah. it isn't even really phrased like it's like some kind of competition. It just looks like they're there so that Larry, when he gets there, can get praise and SpongeBob can not get praise, which in, in a sense, if the show were a bit more of a thinker type of show i would say did larry set that up but i don't i don't believe that was the intention there there's a lot of instances in this episode where you kind of just have to put like like put your brain aside and just accept the cartoon logic that's being provided to you another really funny thing is when he actually gets the marshmallows he like he dives underground and like goes under the sand to where there's, like, a campfire on the beach and a guy, like, cooking marshmallows on them. That's where he gets them from. He's like, can I borrow these? And the marshmallow guy looks at him and goes, mm-hmm, because he has a face full of marshmallows. And that's just such a weird, like, set piece for this episode to have. It comes out of nowhere, but it's like, I, I, this episode very much relies on, on, um, on the cartoon logic where it's just like, okay, we need this to happen. All right, we want him to get two very light objects that could fit on here. Marshmallows. Where would he get marshmallows from? There's a guy cooking marshmallows on the beach that he goes and asks for them perfect there we go it's like you just kind of got to accept it he also has a fire underwater which i think is this is the first time that's very visually evident that that's something that can happen yeah <laughs> um 
yeah, there's no there's no in canon explanation to that. Um, I mean, there's there's a there's a lake underwater or a lagoon rather, and a fire underwater in the same episode. So it's like again, you just kind of gotta <laughs> accept this. Well, not necessarily. See, if you want to follow the fan community, um, it was back around 2007. Someone decided, this is my original character. Her name is Sairji, and she is a magic fire fish. She creates the fire that is underwater. <laughs> so, I mean, if you want an explanation, that's the most you're getting, is somebody's fan character makes all the fire. You know what? It, it was Sarji. Blame everything yeah, on Sarji. Good enough. It's her fault. Exactly. Um, so, obviously, here, SpongeBob is kind of in a situation where, like, he's just, he's not getting what he wants. And when he tries to lift the marshmallows, he ends up ripping his pants. And at first he's like, oh, you know, like, I'm kind of embarrassed. That was not what I wanted to do. But then he realizes, because a fish comes up and he's like, dude, that was, like, so fucking funny. He's like, oh, I'm funny. Yeah, everyone was and laughing. So... He thought everyone was laughing at him. But then uh, a another classic, uh, like, really, like, reoccurring SpongeBob character is the surfer bro fish. The oh fish that that guy is great. He's the one that like is like no, that was hilarious. That was the funniest thing I've ever seen. And realizes that at least in that instance, nobody was laughing at him. They were laughing like with him. I suppose. I believe that fish's name is Sandal, which Sandal. does not sound like a name, but I'm like ninety percent sure that is his name. I I just call him Surfer Brofish, but you you're probably I, I don't right. think he has a name in the credits. But I think if you go to the wiki, his name I believe is Sandal, or it might be like it might have some with shoes, but I I believe his name is Sandal. Um, but we have a lot of incidentals like that, where it's like an incidental is like a character who's not like really a character. They're just like swapped into the background to be whatever needs to be in the background. However, we have ones like him. We have ones like my leg. We have ones like there's just a lot of recurring incidentals in the early seasons. And then later in the show, it's cool that they will get to be their own characters, but also like later in the show, they're kind of just doing that to make you remember that they existed back at this point, but not necessarily here to go into later at this point. Um, anyway, so once he realizes that, he starts to like just create a bunch of stunts in which he rips his pants, which at first everyone thinks is really funny, but you can kind of see as time goes on, more and more people just are done with it. Like, okay, you kind of ran this gag into the ground, um, which it ultimately ends up with SpongeBob doing a, I pretended to be dead, God wrong, God sexual, where he's, he's <laughs> in a surfing competition and he just decides, okay... I'm going to pretend to drown now. And a lifeguard comes over and Spencer's like, I need, I need a tailor because I ripped my pants. It's like, I love that scene so much because I, when I watched it, he was like, he's like, I, I love how dramatic the lifeguard is. He's like, what do you need? And then he goes, a tailor. And then immediately the lifeguard's face like looks up like in like does like the the gym from the office stare and then SpongeBob goes because I ripped my pants and starts laughing and everybody gets mad at him. Um, it is interesting to note though that we learn later that Larry is the lifeguard at Goolagoon, but he's not in this episode. He's just a bodybuilder on the beach, uh, which is I, I thought was an interesting detail that I noticed. Uh, I, I mean, obviously that was just something that they came up with later, or maybe he is a lifeguard. And he was just off duty that day. But yeah, to be fair about it, we see Larry go off duty in the episode. We find out he's a lifeguard. That that is yeah. true. Um, and oftentimes, if you go to a beach or something, you're not going to have like the same lifeguard twenty four seven. Yeah. Another another funny moment from that that sequence as well was um, when SpongeBob does wash up on the beach. The lifeguard that that we were talking about, he like looks through like binoculars or a telescope or whatever, and he he looks at SpongeBob and goes, "Oh, a cardboard box washed up on the beach." <laughs> it's like at, at this point, like people in this universe should know what like sponges are. I guess most people are just normal fish. 
But like it, it's like you should be able to tell that that's a person. I think it's one of those situations where the characters in SpongeBob are just very accepting of what an abstract shape starts talking to them, but they don't necessarily expect that it's going to, just because of the way like a lot of the background characters are fish, but there is also a very diverse set of different character models, different types of species that we see throughout the show. And so it might just be one of those things where like, oh, I didn't initially think this was a person, but because they have limbs, they're probably a guy. Yeah. But then what happens after that, obviously, is, um, you know, like people should react when YouTubers pull like, I convinced my parents I'm dead. Uh, everyone was like, yeah, that was not funny. You probably need to not do that. So everyone starts ignoring SpongeBob and he's like, ah, I blew it. I was so popular. That did not work out the way that I intended it to. It's funny as well, because when you think about it, we, we learn a little bit later. SpongeBob can't swim. So he actually <laughs> did put himself in a deathly situation just for the joke of it all. And there's almost a level of respect one has to have for that. But it was obviously something that is not seen as cool because it would not be a cool thing to do. Yeah. Now, he, he makes an interesting comment. He comes, he's like, I'm the biggest loser on the beach. And then a bunch of other people, uh, three specifically, which I guess you count as a bunch. Like, no, I, I did something way stupider. I, I like have a sunburn because I didn't put any sunscreen on. Uh, I had food, but I got sand in it. Sand in his bones. Um, I was, exactly. I was buried, but they forgot about me. SpongeBob says that his mistake is he lost his best friend. So I guess Rip to Patrick, <laughs> this girl he's known for like a couple of weeks at best, is now his best friend. I also like the humor of the character that says, I was buried but they forgot me, is a literal whale. <laughs> so like how, how well did they bury him that nobody noticed a whale-sized lump in the ground? Did they dig that deep of a hole for him? I mean, we don't see him until like he decides that, to emerge. Yeah, it was, a, so it was a pretty like, good hole. Another funny thing just before that is um, Spongebob is when he's like when he realizes that everyone's mad at him he he thinks the problem is at first that the joke just isn't funny and not that like people were mad at him for faking his own death so he he comes out of the tent and rips his pants like completely off not just like the little rip that you see in him. And then he throws the pants to the ground, and they st and he says, well, pants, I guess we blew it. And then his pants stand up and goes, what do you mean, we? And then walks away. And that's kind of what I'm talking about earlier, too. It's like, in this universe, things can just be, like, cognizant. They could just be alive. If it's funny, they can be alive. Yeah. And so, you know, <laughs> they, a cardboard yeah. box. Yeah, this episode does very much rely on just that if it's funny, then we're rolling with it. I mean, the whole, all of SpongeBob does, honestly. And it does really well with it, too, because, like, it's it has a level of absurdity without reaching, like, just being uninteresting. Because you can only have something go so far before it's like, well, now, like, nothing you do matters. But the absurdist level of SpongeBob it keeps an interesting level at it where they make it so you're never expecting it when it happens. So that when it happens, the payoff is really good. Yeah, for sure. And then, uh, and then, yeah, after this moment, we get probably one of the most iconic uh, Spongebob songs in, in the show's run in Ripped Pants. Uh, I, I, I think I still to this day know all the words by heart. I could, I could say, I'm not going to sing them all right now. I'll spare you all that. But uh, yeah, it's, it's, such a, it's such a classic song. Uh, Sponge, the Spongebob voice actors rarely ever actually sing the songs. They just get like 
musical people in to do it, which I think is a, a very good choice because the songs are very good, uh, and the singing is good, and it's uh, it's it's a it's a great it's a great tune. And that's I believe that's less of a thing these days. Um, it's actually normally when you audition for a role and you do voice acting, they will ask if you have musical experience or you will present that. It's just a part of it. Um, I don't know all of the details of it. I'm not a voice actor myself. However, a lot of times characters will do their own character songs these days to the point where if there is a character singer, they'll have like a different credit or like you'll kind of know about it ahead of time. But at this time, you know, it was pretty common. Like if we want someone... Like, if you watch old Looney Tunes, for example, anytime they do that, like, really loud scream, that is a different person. It's yeah. the same person every time. So it's one of those things that was a little more common back then. You might not see as much these days, but it does lend itself to creating a better song. And to speak of the musical aspect of that, SpongeBob does like to take... It's a weird, but not weird in a bad way. Just, I guess, unique is a better word for it. It's this unique take where a lot of times a musical show is either always musical it's like every episode has to have a musical number or it's a show where they never do any music at all um you could look at for example something like phineas and ferb where at first phineas and ferb didn't have any music at all but they did a one hit wonder episode in which they made a whole song and every single phineas and ferb episode after that has at least one song by the time it reaches the credits uh, so it's a little forced sometimes but what with spongebob it's it's unique in that they have a musical number when a musical number fits what is happening. But if they don't feel like they want to do a musical number that episode, they just don't do it. And so you never know if you're going to get one or not. But when you do, it's really well thought out and they make sure that it is fitting and it makes sense where it's placed. Yeah, for sure. I also really like the decision too, because we talked about how like, okay, they, they might not have a musical, the voice actor might not have a musical credit, so they'll bring somebody else in. But typically what they'll do is when they do that, they'll bring someone in who can kind of mimic at least a little bit the voice, what the singing voice of the character would sound like. I love that in SpongeBob, they don't even attempt that. They, they just go full. It is obviously a completely different person singing, and that's part of the joke, is that like SpongeBob has this very high-pitched, very recognizable voice is then just replaced by this like like smooth singing dude which is which i think works really well if you were to take the base of tom kenny's actual speaking voice i don't think the singer sounds that much different than him but tom kenny's base talking voice is not his spongebob voice yeah. so yes it is it is definitely very different i i'm not sure whether they made an attempt to match at all or if they just took someone uh that's kind of something they would really only know internally but you can certainly tell as a viewer, it's like, okay, yeah, this is different, but it sounds good. Uh, now, what happens after that kind of ties in to Sandy and a point I made about her before in Tea at the Tea, uh, tea at the Tree Dome. She says, SpongeBob, your song is true. If you want to be my friend, all you got to do is be yourself. And it's like, yes, SpongeBob was acting like a fool, but I feel like SpongeBob was, he just is a goofy guy. And he was just being himself at the beginning of the episode. And you still kind of wanted to hang out with Larry instead, which kind of shows like Sandy, I don't think is always fully aware of her part in situations. Because again, at Tea at the Treaty Dome, she was like, all you had to do if you needed water was ask. But like if she had been a little more like observant and like he does ask for water at one point, whether or not it's like kind of offhandedly, she would have noticed he, she probably needs water. But 
she kind of just doesn't do that. And it's like, this isn't like some super negative character trait. I'm not even sure if it's an intentional trait, but the fact it's her and the fact it happens multiple times makes me feel like maybe that is an like intentional just part of who she is. It's like, oh, I don't realize my part in this, but like I am going to be as good of a friend as I can anyway. It, it's the, the word I've, I'm thinking of is like naive positivity. Where I, I, I remember um, in the scene where Spongebob does attempt to lift the, the two marshmallows on a stick and rips his pants. Every, like, you, it cuts to a shot of, like, the crowd and everyone in it's kind of, like, frowning because they're like, what the fuck is this? Like, this isn't impressive. This, even if he does it, this won't be impressive. Um, and then it cuts to a shot of Larry and Sandy. And Larry has very much the same expression as, like, the rest of the crowd does. But Sandy is, like, still smiling to the point where I think she, like, she actually finds a lot of the... Th and, like, and throughout the whole episode, she's laughing at, like, all of his jokes. Like, the only time she is actually mad at him is when he tries to fake his death. Up until that point, she's laughing at everything he does. He, she is very proud of him. It's just, yeah, she doesn't actually notice, like, oh, he's doing this to get attention and I should maybe, like, have him stop before he goes a bit too far. And it's just, it's one of those things where Sandy's character development will kind of continue to be like that. Where it's like, I think that Sandy is a good friend. I think she wants to be a good friend. I think she is a kind person. But I do think that her strengths in like terms of like knowledge and wisdom, I think Sandy knows a lot of facts. I think she has a lot of knowledge. But I think as far as like group settings like that, she kind of doesn't read a room very well. And it's kind of one of those, like, her strengths just lie elsewhere, which makes her kind of unique within a cast where the, like, overall average intelligence is kind of low, but the emotional quotient is a lot higher. I think Sandy has a lot of intelligence, but doesn't necessarily realize the way that situations emotionally affect others. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Um, before we move off of this episode, there is kind of one point about the episode as a whole, at least SpongeBob's, like, journey in it that I wanted to bring up. Um... I, as somebody who, you know, I, I try to be, like, the funny guy a lot of the times in, in you know, the conversations and stuff like that. And I really relate to the idea of this episode where Spongebob is, he found one joke that worked and now he's just trying, like, desperately to keep the joke going as long as he possibly can. Now, obviously, I would not do something as ridiculous as attempt to fake my own death to keep the joke going, but... I do really relate, and I think a lot of people can relate to that as well, the idea of, like, just wanting to, you know, keep people entertained and be funny. You know, I, I don't necessarily have the need to be the center of attention, but there is an aspect to it where, like, you do want to, you know, you want people to like you, and you want people to, to think you're funny or whatever, whatever traits you value. And so SpongeBob's desperate need to, to make people think he's funny, you know, I, I, I do kind of relate to that, and just driving that joke into the ground way past the point of it being funny is, is something I, I relate to a lot. I would say it really ties back into, again, the Pitch Bible. I made a comment in episode one that the Pitch Bible, it says SpongeBob never achieves his goal of employee of the month because he is overzealous. And I said that they changed that. And I still think that's true. But in the sense that he is good at his job, yes, they did change that. But in the sense of things like this episode, we still see that is very much so like a core personality trait of his when he gets something and that something makes him happy or he's like, this is a good thing, this works, he rides it and rides it and rides it into the ground until it creates problems, which is, you know, that's exactly what it is. It's an overzealous nature, this positivity, this never giving up spirit, that's a good thing, but that he doesn't know how to reel back and that puts him in the situations he gets in. 
but ultimately it is because of that same positivity and that same zest for life that it never gets him down for long. Like even when everyone's against him, you know, he manages, like he sings his song, he gets people back on his side and he finds a new happy middle ground of like, okay, like I don't always have to be doing these jokes. Like I know now what it takes to be your friend is, you know, just be myself. And he learned something through that and through all of it, he never let himself stay down for too long, which in and of itself is an admirable trait that, again, although it's never told to us, I'd like to believe that that's what kids subconsciously are going to get out of it, is that if you keep going and you go too far, you can always reel it back, you can always make the best of your situations, and you can always find something to be positive in and happy with. Yeah, for sure. And I know I saw, I believe I said in episode one that SpongeBob doesn't really focus too much on trying to teach kids things a lot these these two episodes in particular bubble stand and rip pants i think very much do if you if you think about them they do teach kids valuable lessons not necessarily you know in you know in like facts or whatever but in like life lessons things that you should value in yourself and in other people and i think that is that is you know very admirable of the writers to to include something like that and it works very well even you know even to today it's just one of those things where I don't even necessarily think that SpongeBob has to try and tie morals in, but because of the way he is and because of stories about him would naturally end, it really just shows the good results of that kind of attitude. And that is another kind of one of those unfortunate things of like, you know, the, the little meme where it's like, when I was a kid, I was like SpongeBob, now I'm an adult and I'm like Squidward. It's like, the point was that throughout everything, SpongeBob remains himself. And it's like, uh, it's definitely understandable for one to, as an adult, become more cynical. But that wasn't necessarily the point that it feels like you were meant to get out of it. It was supposed to be through everything, no matter what the situation, your outlook is a big determinant on how you feel. And obviously there's situations, you know, beyond that. Not everything boils down to just you can positive outlook your way out of it, but for basic little things and for just, you know, everyday life, it's good to do your best to be more like that, to say, well, even if I had this unfortunate moment, I can make it lead to something better. For sure. And yeah, Squidward's character is definitely like a critique on like apathy and cynicism. It's not, you know, it's not supposed to be like the, this is how people just are. Again, a lot of people are that way, but it's, it very much takes a line in the sand of SpongeBob's worldview. There's a, there's a healthy mix that you need to take at times where where you do need to be responsible and still be but you you don't need to let responsibility you know take away your passions and and what you what you love exactly because the fact is both of their mindsets and worldviews lead to problems and if there was more of a middle ground you know we wouldn't have an interesting show but we'd have a balanced person who avoids their issues like doesn't <laughs> exactly. great issues in the first place but of course TV is about, you know, learning lessons, whether it's consciously or not. It's about seeing something entertaining happen. It's about blunders. It's about drama, rise and falls. And so in that sense, you know, you have a dichotomy, which shows, you know, both these sides have their negatives, but there's moments in which they're important as well. For sure. I, I, mean, I think that's a, a good place to wrap up. What do, you, what do you think, Kurt? I definitely do agree with that. We've gotten through both of the parts of episode two. Now, as you may have noticed, episode one, you know, there was one A, one B, one C. As we said there, very rare for there to be a C episode. So going forward, it's going to be a lot of, you know, A and then B, and that's it. 
uh, doing so, you know, may affect the length at times as things go on, but we do still have our interesting talking points to go on. And we certainly thank you if you've made it to the end here with us, listen to our points. If you have any points of your own, certainly would love to hear them. We're always open to any form of communication, anyone who has something they want us to talk about in the future, maybe wants us to go more in depth on, we'll certainly consider doing that. But general flow will lead us into episode three next time. If you are interested, go ahead and follow the podcast through whichever medium you're using, and we'll be back to see you again real soon. See you, everybody.